0: Well, uh, you're going to want to pay attention from the get go tonight. Sometimes when recaps are given, it's easy to kind of just uh, drone off for a second. I also want to express profound appreciation for the pastors who are allowing all five of us to teach tonight. It's a really special thing to get to do this because this will eventually be the Middle
1: East teaching team.
0: So tonight will be our third night in Jeremiah 30 and 31. We've, uh, we've intentionally divided these sections over a total of five nights for two specific reasons. The first one is, in today's environment, the term Newer Covenant or New Covenant is almost universally misunderstood. This is because the original context for which the term was created and made in has been stripped away, and ancillary benefits have been emphasized as if they were the primary text. In case you missed that, to put it bluntly, the New Covenant is usually seen as a Gentile Christian thing. This is an incorrect view and is the direct result of selective reading, (coughs) improper emphasis, and downright historic faithlessness. Secondly, the reason that we're taking five nights to cover this information is simply that it's precious to us, and we wanted to spend five nights on it. (laughs) We happen to believe that the faithfulness of our father and the compassion that he displays towards Israel will inspire and engender proper understanding of what us mysterious gentile grappians have come to share in.
2: And we think that's important. Amen. So let's take some time and review some of the things that you have gleaned so far in our last two nights. As an overview of the material, we told you that it was similar to statements made by Charles Dickens In the classic novel, A Tale of Two Cities, Charles Dickens writes, It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. Now, as we read chapters 30 and 31, we encouraged you to remember the absolute dismal setting that they were taking place in so that you could fully appreciate the hope that is being conveyed by Jeremiah through these times.
3: As we finished Jeremiah 30 verses 1 through 11 in our first week, night number two came along, which was last week, and we began with the following recap. It's seven items. Number one is that we discovered connections between the name of God and the nature of his word in verses 1 through 3.
4: Amen.
3: This was to illustrate that God does not change or modify his word or promises any more than his own character can be changed or modified. Right.
4: Secondly, we also discovered the book of consolation. Come a on. book within a book in verses 1, verses one through 3. The major thesis of the book of Consolation is the reunification and salvation of the house of Israel. Mm -hmm. The new covenant must, say must. Must. must, The new covenant must be seen in this context. Our third point of review was that we saw Jeremiah, who afflicted
5: the comfortable, begin to comfort the afflicted. We saw this in verse 3. This highlighted the desire of God to perfect his people as a contiguous theme throughout the Older and Newer Testaments.
0: That brought us to our fourth point of review where we covered in great depth the certainty of the reunification of Israel and Judah as one restored nation. That came from Jeremiah 30 in verse 4. This is one of the primary promises of the Newer Covenant and it cannot be redacted, reduced or redefined Simply because our present circumstances don't seem favorable to the completion of the
2: promise. Right. We're not allowed to do that. <laughs> In chapter 30, verse 7, we found our fifth point of review. We were reacquainted with the unparalleled uniqueness of the time of Jacob's trouble. That's right. And the ancient nature of this prediction that goes as far back as Enoch, the seventh from Adam. Now, this was to free you from the natural desire, natural desire to see spurious fulfillments and historical events that do, in fact, have parallels. There are events in history that seem to have parallels to that. But from Enoch to Jude, the Bible promises that this labor will be unique in all of history and be followed by salvation of the nation of Israel in an equally
3: yeah. unique Wait. Come on, somebody say hallelujah for that. Hallelujah. Number six out of seven in our points of review, in verse nine, we discovered the intricate beauty of the David and David's son as king scenario yeah. and how Psalm 110, as well as the life of Solomon in 1 Kings affects our understanding. This served to enrich your understanding of Yeshua's statement that one greater than Solomon is here. Amen. Amen.
4: And last but not Amen. least, in verses 5 and 6, we <coughs> reminded you of the pattern of prophetic progression that is so prevalent throughout the prophets. We first identified this pattern in Jeremiah 6. We have a slide to review that progression. In verse 22, you have an army attacking from the north. In verse 24, we have labor pains. And in verse 26, the mourning for an only son. As been mentioned earlier,
5: is prevalent throughout the prophets, not just Jeremiah 6. You should remember we surveyed this progression in several passages. This slide kind of summarizes some of the major items. Around 700, Amos prophesied about the exact same picture and painting. 600, Jeremiah did. 500, Zechariah did. And in 30 AD, Jesus himself did. Later on in our teachings, we went on to even discuss Peter's commentary on this specific pattern. That was found in 1 Peter chapter 4, 17 through 18. If it is hard for the righteous to be saved. Word hard was Strong's number three, four, three, 3, It meant labor pains yeah. to be saved. Yeah. This has always been the process of salvation.
0: The next teaching night that we entered into was on Jeremiah 30. 12 through 21. Wow, these guys really did an excellent job yeah. that night.
6: Yeah.
0: The pertinent points that we want to remind you of can also be summarized in the following seven ways. Number one, we would call no remedy. As Second Chronicles 36, 15 through 16 had said, there was no remedy. No way to avoid what must occur as labor pains that would produce the Newer Covenant announcement. The events had been predicted as far back as Enoch and they would occur as a repeating pattern throughout history until their final climax in the unparalleled events of Jacob's trouble.
2: The second thing we covered and learned is that a nation had to be born of the spirit. The nation was birthed in water And must be birthed in the spirit. So must individuals. This is the proper context of the exodus. This is the proper context of Ezekiel 37, Jeremiah chapter 30 and 31. And of course, Yeshua's conversation with Nicodemus in John 3. They must be
3: born again. That's right. And our third point, elimination of rival lovers. Do you guys remember studying allies and looking into it and seeing that it was the word lover there? All of Israel's adulterous lovers, the ones she found false security in, will be eliminated prior to lavish national salvation. Trouble comes upon the nation while they say peace and security, and comfort comes upon the nation while they are travailing in labor that produces salvation.
4: And point number four, we had great guilt acknowledged and atoned for. Now the father asked a profound question in Jeremiah thirty fifteen. He said, <coughs> "Why are you crying?" <laughs> of course, he knew <laughs> the an- what the answer was, <laughs> but he was looking for the national acknowledgment of guilt that must come prior to the salvation of the nation. Amen. So
5: subsequent to that national acknowledgment and future atonement. Our fifth point of review was destruction of the destroyers. It's a shocking thing for most Christians to realize that the completion of the newer covenant will not occur until after the destroyers of Israel are destroyed themselves, every one of them. The promises of a renewed creation are predicated upon the removal of the ancient national adversaries of Israel.
0: Wow. No rapture. Point number six, there would be healing to the sons. Jeremiah 30, 17 through 20, declares that healing will come to Israel and their sons. This promise is enigmatically linked to the mysteriously prophesied leader who is one of their own and is worthy to draw near to the Lord. It's beautiful to see this promise beginning in Yeshua. And it will be even more beautiful to see its completion in the days to come.
2: Now, lastly, we wrapped up last week with this slide. This slide is the overview of Jacob's trouble as laid out in Jeremiah chapter 30. Now, we learned about the unparalleled uniqueness of Jacob's trouble. But then we saw in verse 15, in that trouble, God will discipline his people. After he disciplines them, after they regard it not as torture, but as discipline from a father, he begins to protect his sons. He then follows up by healing them of their ailments. Then in verse 18, he has compassion as a father has on a son. This result, this resulted in verse 19 with overwhelming thanksgiving from his sons and an increase in their numbers that will not decrease ever. This brought to Israel established community and all of these things were leading to a singular point. The promised ruler who would come from among them and rule over both houses in unity. Now that you heard that, are you excited to see what the rest of the newer covenant contains? We're going to get into some amazing details. So I think we should have someone read.
0: Yeah, let's pray and then read the text. By the way... Just those 21 points of recap. Uh, they're not on Amazon for Tim LaHaye to make money off of, but they're uh, a lot better than what is being summarized in Christianity because they're rooted in the actual Word of God rather than the fantasy of Gentile myth. So, who's going to pray for us? Father, we are united
7: here in the name of God. And
3: to Yes, Lord. Thank you for revealing these
4: mysteries to us, O Lord. Father, we pray, Lord
3: God, that we can treasure
4: this word with everything that we have
3: so that we can take this journey further. Help us, Mighty God, today, and take your spirit to lead us into all
5: truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: So, you know what time it is. (laughs) Miss Jennifer, the resident sexy grandma. It's going to read all of 30 and 31 to us. And here's what you should be doing. You should be listening for those points of review. See if you can pick them up in the text as we go. This would not be the time to check your Facebook or see if anybody emailed you. The whole point of reading these chapters repetitively is that you gain some understanding of what it means in the Newer Testament when you hear the words New Covenant and they're rooted in the actual announcement of the new covenant. Amen. Miss Jennifer, would you read for us?
6: This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. This is what the Lord the God of Among which I scatter you, I will not completely destroy you. I will discipline you, but only with justice. I will not let your let you go entirely unpunished. This is what the Lord says: Your wound is incurable, your injury beyond healing. There is no one to plead your cause, no remedy for your sore, no healing for you. All of your allies have forgotten you. They care nothing for you. I have struck you as an enemy would and punished you. You as would the cruel, because your guilt is so great and your sins so many. Why do you cry out over the wound, your pain that has no cure? Because of your great guilt and many sins, I have done these things to you. But all who devour you will be devoured. All your enemies will go into exile. Those who plunder you will be plundered. All who make spoil of you, I will despoil. But I will restore you to health and heal your wounds the Lord because you are called an outcast Zion for for whom no one cares (laughs) this is what the Lord says I will restore the fortunes of Jacob's tent and have compassion on his dwellings the city will be rebuilt on her ruins and the palace will stand in its proper place from them will come songs of thanksgiving and the sound of rejoicing I will add to their number and they will not be decreased I will bring them honor and they will not be disdained their children will be as in days of old, and their communities will be established before me. I will punish all who oppress them. Their leader will not their leader will be one of their own. Yeah. Their ruler will arise from among them. I will bring him near, and he will come close to me. For who is he who will devote himself to be close to me? declares yeah. the Lord. Come on. So you will be my people and I will be your God. See, the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath, a driving wind swirling down on the heads of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has fully accomplished the purposes of his heart. In days to come, you will understand this. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they will be my people. This is what the Lord says. The people who survive the sword will find favor in the desert. I will come to give rest to Israel. The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. I will build you up again, and you will be rebuilt, O virgin Israel. Again you will take up your tambourines and go out to dance with the joyful. Again you will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. The farmers will plant them and enjoy their fruit. There will be a day when watchmen cry out on the hills of Ephraim, Come let us go to Zion, to the Lord our God. This is what the Lord says. Sing with joy for Jacob. Shout for the foremost of the nations. Make your praises heard and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. See, I will bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them there will be the blind and the lame, expectant mothers and women in labor. A great throng will return. They will come with weeping. They will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them beside streams of water on level paths where they will not stumble. Because I am Israel's father, and Ephraim is my firstborn son. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations. Proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who scatters Israel will gather them and watch over his flock like a shepherd. For the Lord will ransom Jacob and redeem them from the hand of those stronger than they. They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, the grain, the new wine, and the oil, the young of the flocks and herd. They will be like a well-watered garden, and they will sorrow no more. The maidens will dance and be glad, young men and all, as well as old. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. I will satisfy the priest with abundance, and my people will be filled with my bounty, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says, a voice... Is heard in Ramah mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. This is what the Lord says. Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy, so there is hope in your future, declares the Lord, for your children will return to their own land. I have surely heard Ephraim's mourning. You discipline me like an unruly and I have been disciplined. Restore me, and I will return, because you are the Lord my God. Amen. After I strayed, I repented. Amen. After I came to understand, I beat my breast. I was ashamed and humiliated because I bore the disgrace of my youth. Is not Ephraim, my dear son, the child in whom I delight? Though I often speak against him, I still remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I have great compassion for him, declares the Lord. Set up road signs, put up guideposts, take note of the highway, the road that you take. Return, O virgin Israel, return to your towns. How long will you wander, O unfaithful daughter? The Lord will create a new thing on earth. A woman will surround a man. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says when I bring them back from captivity. The people of the land of Judah and its towns will once again use these words. The Lord bless you, O righteous dwelling, O sacred mountain. People will live together in Judah and all of its towns, farmers and those who move about with their flocks. I will refresh the weary and satisfy the saint. At this I woke and looked around. My sleep had been pleasant to me. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will plant the house of Israel and the house of Judah with offspring of men and of animals. Just as I watched over them to uproot and tear down, and to overthrow, destroy, and bring disaster, so I will watch over them to build and plant, declares the Lord. In those days, people will no longer say, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. Instead, everyone will die for his own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, his own teeth will be set on edge. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. At that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people." No longer will a man teach his neighbor or man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. This is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord Almighty is his name. Only these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Mm -hmm. Lord. Will the descendants of Israel ever cease to be a nation before me? This is what the Lord says. Only if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below be searched out, I will reject all the descendants of Israel because all they have done, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when this city will be rebuilt from the tower of Penel to the corner gate, the measuring line will stretch from their and then turn to Goa, Goa. the whole valley where the dead bodies and ashes are thrown, and all the terraces out to the Kidron Valley, on the east as far as the corner of the house gate, will be holy to the Lord. The city will never again be uprooted or demolished.
3: After reading these two chapters again tonight, it's not hard to imagine how excited we are to teach these chapters with you tonight. We're gonna start in Jeremiah 30 and verse 22. But before we do, just wanna say, these two chapters are some of the most studied and some of the most debated chapters in the word. If you go and you dive into these and you read commentaries and you see what other people have said, there are so many different opinions about what is going on in these two chapters. I'm not ashamed to tell you tonight, We prayed this afternoon, and the Lord unlocked some massive keys for us tonight as a body. It's
7: going to be good!
3: Are you guys ready to get into verse 22? Come on, Linton.
7: (laughs) So you will be my people, and I will be your God.
3: It is true that based on this verse, Paul, as well as the other apostles, they had a revelation. That this statement includes the mysterious Gentile Graftins, and sound biblical hermeneutics demand that we not elevate the sowed beyond the Pasha. Mm. So they were able to see, wow, this is not just Israel. This is also a mystery that the Gentile Grafton's were able to be included in God's people. But us tonight, we want to make sure that we lay the foundation the way that it needs to be laid in sound biblical hermeneutics. Are you guys ready to do that with us yes. who are the people in the pashat sense is the question here Israel. deuteronomy 32 verses 9 and 10 is the first scripture that we want to read regarding this topic it says for the lord's portion is his people jacob his allotted inheritance in a desert land he found him in a barren and howling waste He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. The mysterious inclusion of others cannot render these words meaningless. It makes far more sense to read this in the Peshat. Come on, Acts 1 students. And then, after you read it in the Peshat, then consider additions. The people of Israel are the inheritance, even if others may be included. This is profound when considering that this is the point of the Newer Covenant. Yeah. What we're speaking about right now is the point of the Newer Covenant. Yeah, it's sure. in these chapters in Jeremiah, and the point is the salvation of Israel. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Always centered around Israel. Let's unpack another one. This is Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the people on the face of the earth to be His people, his treasured possession. The inclusion of graftons does not change the root of the promise. I'm going to say that again. The inclusion of graftons does not change the root of the promise. No amount of graftons would literally fulfill the Peshat of this verse. Israel must be his treasured possession even if others like Ittai are included. And Let's hear it in the prophets.
5: Malachi 3 verse 17. They will be
6: mine,
5: says the Lord Almighty. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them. Just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. Israel will experience the compassion of the Father as a nation altogether. A generation called... All Israel <laughs> will be spared yes. as sons of God. Amen. El Shaddai, the God who is enough, says so in the Bashad, and he will provide for
0: it. I want to read to you again from the prophets. We've taken two from the law, two from the prophets, there'll be two from the writings. We're now in 1 Kings eight fifty-two. May your eyes be open to your servants' plea. And to the plea of your people, Israel. And may you listen to them whenever they cry out to you. For you singled them out from all the nations of the world to be your own inheritance. Mm. Just as you declared through your servant, Moses. When you, O sovereign Lord, brought our fathers out of Egypt. The first thing that I want you to notice is that Solomon said... Whenever they cry out. Not if ever they cry out. <laughs>
3: yeah,
1: yeah.
0: This is because Israel will cry out to Amen. the Father. Yeah. They'll do it while they're travailing in labor. And that labor will give birth to the inheritance of God. Namely, Israel. Yeah. A prince with God. Amen. This is the point of the new covenant.
2: As we move on to the writings, are you noticing how many passages say the same thing? Yeah. We handpick these passages out of hundreds in the Tanakh. This is the overwhelming proof, these hundreds of passages, that this is what God is saying. First Chronicles 17.22 You made your people Israel, your very own, forever. Amen. Yeah! Amen. And you, O Lord, have become their God. Oh, now David, who's writing this, the man who had a heart like God. Declared that Israel is God's chosen forever.
0: You're going to love me forever? <laughs> yep.
2: Now, in this passage, when it says they have, he has become their God, you remember the Hebrew word hayah? Yeah. The word that's three different tenses all at the same time? Uh-huh. That is the word for have become. Uh-huh. The father has become. He is becoming and he will become their God yeah. yet again. This is true no matter how many graftons are privileged to share in the process. It is true for Israel first and foremost, and we get to be a part of
3: that. Wow. Like Trisha said, there are literally hundreds of passages that we could have chosen. But Psalm 135 verse 4 is our last one of this string. It says, for the Lord has chosen Jacob to be his own, Israel to be his treasured possession." The fact of Israel's national destiny is demonstrable on every page of your Bible. Israel is to be his treasured possession. You are to avoid all temptation to redefine, reduce, or redact this truth. They are not the same as all the other nations. Amen. The nations of the world are not homogenous in God's eyes. He chose Jacob. As his treasure possession. Yeah. Yeah. He chose Israel as his people. One nation as the apple of his eye that he chose for himself.
4: I love what Nick said. That Israel's national destiny is demonstrable on every page of the Bible. Yeah. The Newer Testament writers took it for granted that you read the Older Testament and understood this. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, they understood that you would understand it when they wrote it. You should remember... That the LXX wording carries over into the Greek New Testament. Mm. We have a slide for you with 1 Chronicles 16, 13. It reads, Seeds of Israel, his servant. Sons of Jacob, his chosen. Say chosen. 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 Now the Hebrew word chosen is replaced by the Greek word for elect. And one thing I love about Greek is it is very direct in how it defines words. But English is not so specific sometimes. So we're going to unpack this. The Greek word, the Strong's number, is 1588. This is eklektos. This means to be chosen, select, or elect. Choice or election. This involves thoughtful or deliberate consideration.
7: Wow! In
4: the 39 books of the Tanakh, elect refers to Israel. Israel. (laughs) Israel. And the Newer Testament Testament writers use the word elect in the same way, to refer to Israel. Israel. Let's look at a couple... Passages and plug in the word Israel where eclectos is used. How about Ephesians 1 verses 4 and 5? For he chose Israel, Israel. Uh, in him before the creation of the world to be a holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined <laughs> Israel, Israel. <laughs> to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Oh, yeah. How about 2 Timothy 2, verses 8 through 10? Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of Israel, Israel that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Are you following this? Yeah. Let's do one more, the Romans eleven twenty eight. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are are enemies on your account. But as for (laughs) Israel, as far as Israel is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. Man. Patriarchs. Saints, isn't that beautiful? Yes. When we begin to
5: approach the New Testament with the mind of the original audience, it unlocks all kinds of things. Speaking of which, we're going to pick up in verse 23 and go through 24.
0: Oh, it's about to get really good, saints. Oh, yeah.
7: <laughs> yes. See the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath, a driving wind swirling down the heads of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purposes of his heart. Um, in days to come, you will understand this. Mm-hmm.
5: And it's difficult to articulate how much we just covered in those two verses. <laughs> but we're going to do our best to show you. The coming of the Lord is a storm. A, a store throughout the Tanakh and the New Testament. <clears throat> it is a common misconception, see floating around in church art, <laughs> that Jesus is returning on white fluffy clouds. Ah, oh,
0: blinded! It's so white, <laughs> just like lily white Jesus. Wrong, <laughs> like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man.
5: <laughs> we are going to give you a sizable. Somebody say sizable. Siz- sizable. sizable scripture string to that effect in just a minute, but first I want you to consider a few things before we dive into that scripture straight. The Lord said he will accomplish the purposes of his heart. He has made them clear since he founded Israel. Yes. It's important that we understand those purposes because he's saying, <coughs> I will bring it about.
4: Yeah.
5: Lord said that this would be <coughs> understood in the days to come. Oh. You ever looked at a child and say, you'll understand when said this would be understood in the days to come, meaning that it is not understandable until it is happening. This vision is not sealed like Daniel in the idea that it cannot be understood. Mm. You will understand it and you will understand it as it is coming about in the future. It's open for you to read, but something about being there in the moment has a different understanding. But how it happens is not understood precisely until it is happening in that moment. And what we're about to get into describes some of the awe and gravity of God. Yeah. Let's put it in that perspective. It's very difficult for you to understand all of the awe and gravity of God until you've tangibly tasted of it. Yeah. Our first passages are going to come from the law, of course. Exodus 19, 16 through 17 is our first one. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder. And lightning, and that's not sounding white to me. <laughs> with a thick cloud cover over the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast, everyone in the camp trembled. Yeah. Because it was bright and sunny with white clouds. No. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. At the inception of Israel, their very first meeting place with God. This is the description. The God of Israel came to meet with them. In a thick cloud that was full of thunder and lightning, this dramatic arrival was both frightening and altogether comforting. He would be their purifier, which would be seen as a frightening thing, but he was also their protector, which is altogether comforting when you realize that that God is the one who protects me.
0: Now remember, that is his announcing presence to the whole nation. That's how they encountered him. And so throughout the scripture, that is how he's presented. Listen to Deuteronomy thirty-three, twenty-six. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun, which is an affectionate name for Israel, who rides on the heavens to help you and on the clouds in his majesty. Israel's God is the rider on the clouds. And he comes in his majesty to help them. When they envisioned those clouds, they envisioned them just like they did at Sinai. Thick, dark clouds, full of thunder and lightning. Ominous if you were an enemy and altogether protecting if you were a son. Judges 5 makes this very clear. Moving on to
2: the prophets. Judges 5, verse 4 through 5. O Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom... The earth shook, the heavens poured. Sounds like white clouds. The clouds poured down water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai. Before the Lord, the God of Israel. All right, so this is when Israel is under the threat of Sisera in the valley of Har Megiddo. In the valley of Armageddon. The writer after the battle is writing this passage and he's explaining what happened in that battle. The Lord came from the direction of Sinai in an earth-shaking storm to aid his people and defeat the enemies of Israel. The cloud writer came with dark clouds and thunder
3: to defeat his enemies and save his people. Are you guys beginning to formulate that image in your mind's eye yet? 2 Samuel 22 verses 10 through 12 is going to help us and further this. He parted the heavens and came down. Yeah, Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his canopy around him. The dark rain clouds of the sky. Wow, that furthers that image for us, doesn't it? There's a consistent view here of the Lord coming to the rescue of Israel. And that he's riding the clouds of heaven in an overwhelming storm to defeat Israel's enemies.
4: Let's move on to the writings. This is Psalm 97, verses 1 through 5.
3: Mm.
4: The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Amen. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Wow. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his Ooh. foes on every side. Wow. His 20 lightning 20. lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. Yeah, amen. The storm of God is viewed as revelation and deliverance for his people but destruction for the national adversaries of Israel. This imagery imagery is replete throughout the Psalms. If you've ever sang the song, Blow the trumpet in Zion, Zion, well, you were singing about this without knowing it. Here's the text of the song, uh, the scripture that it was taken from. This is Joel 2, 1 through 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion.
5: Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Mm. Let all who live in the land... Tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Oh, yeah. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, nor ever will be in ages to come. Notice that the coming of the Lord is in a storm such as never was of old, nor will be in ages to come. Man, we're here to tell you that Jacob's trouble is not the only thing that is unparalleled. Wow. This is an unparalleled event in history, and it did not occur under Antiochus or Titus or any other Gentile power that tried to stomp out God's people. We will prove that to you in just a minute. But for now, just humor us. Consider it as a future event. That this storm hasn't already taken place. Just take it for granted for a little while that what was being described in the prophets is in a future context. At the risk of sounding redundant, we are going down this path because unfortunately, this is not how most Christians understand the coming of the Lord. You won't meet anyone who understands this hardly. This is because the Newer Testament takes it for granted that you have already understood this concept prior
0: to reading their writings. Wow. Can we give you another prophet? Yes. Yes. Then we're going to get you into the Newer Testament where you'll wake up and you'll go, oh, wow, I've been misreading that. (laughs) This is Zephaniah 1, and I'm going to begin in verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near. Or short. Or soon. How about that? (laughs) The great day of the Lord is near. Near and coming quickly. Listen. The cry on the day of the Lord will be bitter. The shouting of a warrior there. That day will be a day of wrath. A day of distress and anguish. A day of trouble and ruin. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of of clouds and blackness. You should be getting the idea that God coming on the storm clouds of heaven is a scene of warfare. A day of retribution for the hostile national enemies of Israel. Again, the Newer Testament takes it for granted that this is your foundation, that you already understand this principle. So when the Newer Testament mentions coming on
2: clouds,
0: this is the imagery that the Newer Testament takes for
2: granted. You already understand. Wow! wow. All right, the break Matthew twenty four verse thirty. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. Wow! They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power. And great glory. So the question here is, why are the nations mourning? Well, it's not because God is coming out of the blue clear sky talking about true love. It's because the God of Israel has come on the storm clouds of heaven to protect his inheritance. Now, if you're a Jew in the first century, connect this for a second. You already know that 2 Samuel 22 says God is riding on the clouds. But when Yeshua says you will see me riding on the clouds, What is he saying there? Let's move to Matthew 26,
3: verse 64. Matthew 26, this chapter, and this particular portion of the chapter, is the place where Jesus is on trial before the resurrection. And before we read verse 64, you have to understand something. He's talking to the high priest. The high priest who knew the Torah. The high priest who knew the Tanakh. The high priest who knew what the coming of Messiah was going to look like. how it was going to look, that it was going to be dark, that it was going to be daunting, a great storm. With that in mind, listen to what Jesus says to the high priest. Tell us plainly if you're the Messiah. (laughs) Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One And coming on the clouds of heaven. He's saying, I'm the son of man, and I'm the one that's going to be coming back. That's me. You better watch yourself. (laughs) You know, knowing what you know now, doesn't that sound like an extraordinary threat from Jesus? That's exactly what it was. I bet you've never seen that before.
4: Hey, are you guys learning something? Let's go ahead and go on to the New Testament prophets in Revelation 1-7. It says, look. He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the people of the earth will mourn because of of him. So shall it be. Amen. This imagery throughout the Tanakh is replete in the book of Revelation. What is important for you to grasp is the events that are in parallel with the coming of the Lord on the clouds. They are to protect Israel. But wait, there's more. Let's go to Ezekiel (laughs) thirty-four. Do you want more? So we go to Ezekiel thirty-four,
5: it is our last passage this evening on this subject, so I don't mind making you wait just a second. Remember what we just read in Jeremiah prior to starting this stream. Jeremiah is seeing the storm of the Lord and describing it. Jeremiah may not have had the insight that came later. But doesn't this give you an idea of what he was glimpsing of, what he was seeing for Israel as a holistic unit yeah, yeah. in that moment? Here, is Ezekiel 34, which is another prophet in a similar time frame describing these events. I'm going to pick up in verse 12. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock, mm. when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds.
0: On a day of what?
5: Clouds. And darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. Plural. And I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. Thanks. the context here what we're describing is of a scattered flock being brought out of the plural nations, out from the country, specifically to the land of Israel. Yeah. How can we say this is Antiochus or Titus? No. Yeah. I asked you that question earlier. This could not have been a fulfillment of the coming of the Lord. What is being described here is nations and countries and the storm of God approaching from in the sea. Because when he comes on those storm clouds of heaven, he is also regathering all of his people, Israel, from the countries from which they've been scattered. That has never happened. The day of clouds initiates their national deliverance, their permanent settlement in the land,
0: and as we mentioned to you last week, a new heart that is inclined to follow him. Now, when you're thinking about this, say, but wait a minute, there's so many parallels with Antiochus. Couldn't that have been it? No, because there was not a storm cloud coming of the Lord that resulted in the regathering of all of Israel into the land with new hearts never to be uprooted again. But wait a minute, didn't Titus set up standards in the temple? Couldn't that have been it? No, because after Titus they were scattered, not gathered. Well, wait a minute. Couldn't the repatriation of Israel have been this in 1948? No, where is? The storm clouds of the Lord coming to protect and save his people. These are patently ridiculous ideas that are not just limited to preterists. This is how you sell books to the whole world that are not based in truth. This will be an unparalleled event that has no equal in history. Trust me, if it had happened, you would know it. And there would be no debate over it. This is precisely what the prophets say. But look at the next few verses of Jeremiah, because he will say it again.
7: At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they will be my people.
0: At that time. At what time? When the cloud rider appears in the great storm of God. At that time, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel. Yeah. One only has to follow their recent national election to see that that has not happened in history. (laughs) Years of speculation and misappropriation of Paul's statement in Romans 11. It should be put to rest. All Israel will be saved, but it will be on a day of clouds. It will be on a day of supernatural events unparalleled in history. Look, Jeremiah is going to go on to describe the process of this salvation of Israel journey, what their national destiny is going to look like. And it is the predicate for the completion of the new covenant. Mm -hmm. So you should be supremely interested in this.
7: All
2: right, let's get verse 2.
7: This is what the Lord says. The people who survive the sword will find favor in the desert. Mm -hmm. I will come to give rest to Israel.
2: Now, when many of you read this, you did not know... That this is actually answering a question that every person in this room has had at one point. How can God save every individual in a nation or his nation? How can God say that all Israel will be saved? How is that even possible? Well, the answer is right here in verse 2. The answer is that he is saving those who have survived the labor pains and the sword. The ones that are alive at his coming on the clouds to protect, save, and defend them. Those who remain after the sifting, those will be saved. You guys want to see that plainly written into the scripture? Let's pick up in Amos chapter 9 and verse 9 through 10. And this is going to get good.
0: I think it's already good. How (laughs) about you? It's been an action-packed 53 minutes. If you're bored, I don't know. You should try Buddhism. Are you guys fully
3: saturated yet? No. Come on now. Amos 9, 9 through 10 reads like this. For I will give the command. I will shake the house of Israel among the nations as grain is shaken in a sieve. He's going to shake his nation. And not a pebble will reach the ground. All the sinners among my people will die by the sword. All the sinners among my people will die by the sword. All those who say disaster will not overtake or meet us. Jeremiah says that those who survive the sword will find favor in the desert. We're going to get into the implications of that here in just a minute. You know what? Tonight we might just get a little bit into that second exodus that we've been teasing you guys about for so many weeks. But first, let us review what those who survived by the sword may look like,
4: and Peyton is going to get Isaiah 1, for us. So this is Isaiah 1, verse 27. Zion will be redeemed with justice, her penitent ones with righteousness. The labor pains will both remove the sinners from Israel and create... Penitent hearts in the survivors so that they are prepared to be made righteous. Amen. Come Let's on! Look at That's how des- Zechariah <laughs> described it. Zechariah 12, verse 9. On
5: that day I will set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem. You should know what that looks like now. <laughs> yep. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace. And supplication.
0: It'll be a grace explosion. <laughs> <laughs> they
5: will look on me, the one man pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. On that day, the weeping of Jerusalem will be great, like the weeping of Hadad Ramon in the plain of Megiddo. The land will mourn. The land will mourn each clan by itself, with their wives by themselves. The clan of the house of David and their wives, the clan of the house of Nathan and their wives. Now, if you were led to believe at some point in time that the prophets were all speaking about different events, I'm here to clearly illustrate. He's describing the exact same one, just with varying details. Compare this process with Jeremiah's words in Jeremiah... 31, verse 1, which we just read. At that time, did you hear how Zachariah started out? He said, on that day, the prophets are constantly pointing to a specific time frame that is unparalleled. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they will be my people. Not one clan left out. The nation that survives the labor pains and the sword will be cleansed. A spirit of grace and supplication is poured out, penitent They will look upon the one they pierced and become his inheritance. Come on. Now perhaps you think that's a stretch. <laughs> perhaps. No. Maybe you're thinking that you're not sure that this is what Zechariah is describing. Let's look at what Jeremiah says
7: next. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting I will build you up again, and you will be rebuilt, O virgin Israel. Again, you will take up your tambourines and go out to dance with the Jordan. Mm.
0: Okay. (laughs) Now shake yourself a little bit. (laughs) It's important that you dig in here, because I've been studying for 28 years, and we have not found this until today. And it took up a great deal of time (laughs) to sort this out. But it is some kind of beautiful. The picture in Zechariah 12 is grace and supplication poured out. People looking upon the one they pierced. All of the clans of Israel coming together. The picture in Jeremiah 31 is the same picture. But we get crystal clear HD quality picture in this verse. In verse 3, something amazing is happening. You probably have a footnote in your Bible. Next to the word pass, it'll say something like, this could be translated from afar. We want to show you how the LXX reads here, and not just one copy of the LXX. All copies of the LXX. This is Jeremiah 31.3 in the LXX. The Lord, at a distance, shall be seen or looked upon by him, saying, affection with an everlasting, I loved you. On account of this, I drew you for pitying. The Lord at a distance shall be looked upon by him, Israel. Take that in for a minute as you look at the slide. The Lord shall be seen or looked upon, and the Lord will be saying something. I have loved you with an everlasting affection. <laughs> Putting together what you've learned from Zechariah and Jeremiah. A fountain is open that cleanses the clans of Israel. The Lord appears. They see the one that they have pierced. And he says to them, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I want to show you the LXX translated by Lexham. Some brothers in this church helped me buy a copy. It's readily available in Logos. I want you to catch this because it gets very, very precise and very good. So, the Lexham copy, if we have that on a slide, there we go. The Lord appeared to him from afar. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you in compassion. For I will build you, and you will be built, O virgin Israel. You will seize your tambourine, and you will come out with an assembly of people (laughs) having fun. (laughs) (laughs) Now it's important that you get something. Because if you have footnotes in your Bible, if you have commentaries on your shelf, they're probably wrong. There are translations and commentaries. They obfuscate this truth. They read the pronoun "him" as if it were Jeremiah. That position is untenable. I want to show you what this verse would look like if that's true. It's our next slide. The Lord appeared to Jeremiah from afar. I have loved you, Jeremiah, with an everlasting love. Therefore I have drawn you, Jeremiah, in compassion. For I will build you, Jeremiah, and you, Jeremiah, will be built, O virgin Israel. (laughs) That is an absurd idea that is incongruent with the text. Since the text clearly identifies who he's talking to. Virgin Israel. Justin's going to read you the passage with Israel. As the antecedent to the pronoun him. And get this. You're catching the other half of the picture of what happens in Zechariah 12. When they look upon the one they pierced. Now we have his dialogue
2: to them. All right. The Lord appeared to him, Israel, from afar. I have loved you, Israel, with an everlasting love. Therefore... I have drawn you, Israel, in compassion, for I will build you, Israel, and you, Israel, will be built, O virgin Israel. You see how that fits when you begin to understand the right pronoun being addressed? Now, as beautiful as the truth that Israel will be looked upon, they will look upon the one they have pierced and have him speak to them. As beautiful as that is, what he says here is even more beautiful. He calls them a virgin. Does anybody see that as a little bit ironic? Yeah. Given the previous chapters detailing their prostitution? Yeah. Given, You're like a camel sniffing whore, he said. <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah. Unless, unless the only way that Messiah can call them, O virgin Israel, is if Zechariah is right in what he says yeah. that they will be cleansed. Prior to looking upon the one they pierced. Look, we don't want you to lose continuity with the text that we are studying tonight. So look at the screen for a minute to grasp something for our next point. It says, at that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel and they will be my people. This is what the Lord says. The people who survived the sword will find favor in the desert. I will come to give rest to Israel. The Lord appeared to us from afar saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. I will build you up again and you will be rebuilt. O virgin Israel again. You will take up your tambourines and go out to dance with the joyful or have a little bit of fun. Isn't anybody interested in those tambourines and fun? Well, the Lord is drawing upon the imagery of the original Exodus and saying, again, again, there will be favor in the desert. Again, you will take up tambourines. Again, 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 this will happen. It's
1: going to happen again.
2: (laughs) So we're going to go through a scripture string and we're going to lay out some things that have to do with the original story of Exodus and what we're seeing in Jeremiah. The first passage we are going to start in. It's right after the first Exodus, Exodus 15, verse 2 through 3. This is going to
3: begin to lay some of the groundwork for again. And what we want to do is we want to read through some of the key points of the first Exodus, starting in Exodus chapter 15, and we want to highlight some of the main thematic elements and things that actually happened in Exodus 15, and then we'll begin to dive into the scripture and see what the second one might look like. Exodus 15:2 through3: "The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation." He is my God, and I will praise Him, my father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a warrior. Yeah. Yes. The Lord is His name." We're obviously speaking about the original Exodus here, where Israel. They were covered in the blood of the Lamb. Then they passed through the waters of the Red Sea, just like baptism. Born of water. On the other side, they were singing this song from Exodus 15. He has become my salvation. And the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. They're singing this song to their king. Exodus 15. 15 verses 13 through 14, we can see this Exodus account goes on to include a promise.
4: Verse 13: In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. Come on. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The Lord's love would be unfailing. Come on, somebody. Come on. He would lead his people to the holy dwelling. And at the same time, anguish would grip the nations. Let's look at what happens next in Exodus 15, verse 17. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain
5: of your inheritance. The place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, your hands established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Amen. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground.
3: Oh, uh, listen yeah. up.
5: Then Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine
7: yeah,
5: oh, in her uh-huh. hand, and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Uh, yeah. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert.
4: desert. Oh,
5: come on. Now, we're not going to teach them verse 27 tonight, but there is a shadow in type that leads to the salvation of the nations subsequent to the salvation of Israel. Mm-hmm. Now, Jeremiah is being told that these events will repeat again in some form. Hmm. I'm going to read that to you one more time
0: as we throw that slide on the screen. It's important that you grasp these details because we're about to build on them in a huge way. <laughs> At that time, declares the Lord,
5: I will be the God of all the clans of Israel.
0: How many? All. Oh.
5: And they will be my people. This is what the Lord says. The people who survive the sword will find favor in the desert. Where? In the desert.
7: To
1: dance Come
0: on, again,
1: again.
0: Yeah. come on, that's moreover. Yeah. The word can actually be translated. Moreover. Yeah. But we kind of like again. Some people find it interesting <laughs> that Jesus was going to come twice. I find it even more interesting that there's more than one Exodus. Yeah. Look, Jeremiah is not the only prophet that talks about this. So I'm going to read to you from Hosea 2. 14 as a way to kind of kick this off. Are y'all all right with that? Oh, yeah. 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 Hosea 2:14. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. Oh, okay. Come on, man. Come on. <laughs> I lost my train of thought when I saw you there, Miss Jan. Yeah. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the, the desert, desert. Yeah, and worry. speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Accor a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came up out of Egypt. Hosea says this will take place in the desert, just like Jeremiah said. Hosea says there will be singing like the exodus just as Jeremiah said. Now this really starts to present a beautiful picture of an engaged or newly married Israel that became defiled with adulteries and prostitution. But she was cleansed as a virgin again. Amen.
4: Amen.
0: And then was married or remarried, if you like, to Messiah again.
1: again.
2: Now are you ready to have your mind blown? Yeah. Yeah. Listen to Isaiah 19, verse 1. An oracle concerning Egypt. Man, you got to love it when the Lord singles out Egypt. See, the Lord rides on a swift cloud. And what kind
0: of cloud do you think oh. that is?
2: <laughs> Copyright, silver surfer. And is coming to Egypt. He's riding on a cloud, the one of Sinai, and he's coming to Egypt. That's interesting. The idols of Egypt tremble before him, and the hearts of the Egyptians melt within them. Now the thing you have to remember about this passage is that it is 900 years after the Exodus. And Isaiah is prophesying that the Lord is riding back to Egypt on a cloud. The Lord is coming on the storm clouds again again. back to Egypt. Listen, that is further back in time then Christopher
0: Columbus was supposed to have discovered North America. (laughs) And he's saying it's going to happen again.
3: (laughs) Isaiah 1111 helps us to keep building this concept. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second Second time. time. A second time again (laughs) to reclaim the remnant. Do you guys hear how that is going to happen in the future? To reclaim the remnant that is left of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. The events of the second exodus are even greater than the events of the first exodus. You know, in Exodus 34, God promised this when he said, I will do wonders never before seen in any nation. He's pointing forward to that second Exodus. That was also after Israel had broken the law. Yeah. A terrible time in Israel's history. But what happened? They put the restored law into the Ark of His Testimony, He etched the tablets again and put them in the Ark of the Testimony. Again, Isaiah is writing almost nine hundred years after the first Exodus. Wow. Did y'all think
0: that was cool? Yeah.
4: <laughs> well, the next verse is even better. Wow. This is Isaiah eleven fifteen. The Lord will dry up the Gulf of the Egyptian Sea with a scorching wind.
0: He's going to split it? Peyton, did you say he's going to split it?
4: It sounds like he's going to dry it up. He's going to dry dry the whole thing up! Dry it up. Even better. better. And he will sweep his hand over the Euphrates River. Wow, two bodies of water. Two. He will break it up into (laughs) seven streams. So that men can cross over in sandals. Hey, I'm not as fresh on my
0: history. Did that happen during Antiochus Epiphanes? No. 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 Did that
4: happen during
0: Titus' siege in AD 70? No. When Ben-Gurion declared (laughs) the nation of Israel a national entity, did this happen then? No. No. Then it must still be in our future. If you were partial something... You must be more partial now than you used to be.
4: (laughs) (laughs) For for us in this room, this should be blowing your mind. The word is showing us something that is incredible, and I'm incredibly excited about it. Let's go on to verse 16. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people. Remnant of his people that is left from Assyria as there was for Israel when they came up from Egypt. That's in the first time. That sounds very clear to me. So Jeremiah, Isaiah, Hosea, all speak of events greater than the original Exodus and a second form of deliverance for the nation. It's like being born of water, which is good, but then being born of the Spirit, which is so much better. Yes! yes. Habakkuk 3, verse 12 through
5: 15 is worth considering on this subject.
0: You've got to get ready for this. Y'all ready? Yeah. you are going to embrace yourself. In wrath, you strode through the
5: earth. Mm. I love the the way the Bible depicts the Lord. Striding. (laughs) (laughs) He's not running. It's It's not hard for him. He's just kind of striding through the earth. And in anger, you thrust the nations. So while you were taking a walk in your dark storm cloud, you also thrust the nations. (laughs) You came out to deliver your people. Wow. So apparently, they needed deliverance. From the nations plurally. Yep, yeah. To save your anointed one. As in your chosen elect Israel. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. Oh, yeah!
0: I don't feel like I need to elaborate on that. You stripped him from head to foot. Anybody with a more literal Ooh. translation. It might say something like. You cleaved him from his face <laughs> to his thigh. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like he. Well, he, he waylaid him. Yes. He him in a now,
5: in the prophets, they often contain little souls. Say, look. Yeah. you crushed him and stripped him
0: bare and left him there. <laughs> yeah, praise break. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just not a little dance here
5: before he moves on. Now he's going to depict how he does it. <laughs> With his own spear, you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, Israel, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding, you trampled the sea with your horses, oh, churning the great waters. Look, in recap of what we just read, Habakkuk is riding around the time of Jeremiah. He's forecasting the threshing of the nation. The crushing of the leader of the land of wickedness, and the deliverance of God's people, the anointed nation Israel. Now, interestingly, at the end, he mentions the trampling of the sea, as in the first time the Israelites were brought out. It will be like the first Exodus, except that much greater. Aren't you
0: glad we're not selling commentaries? <laughs> yeah,
3: I'm sure.
0: That you get this stuff for free? Listen to what Zechariah 10, beginning in verse 10, says. I will bring them back from Egypt. Just in case you didn't know, Zechariah comes after the first exodus. (laughs) I will bring them back from Egypt and gather them from Assyria. I will bring them to Gilead and Lebanon, and there will not be room enough for them. They will pass through the sea of trouble. Whoa. The surging sea will be subdued because he's going to dry that puppy up. And <laughs> all the depths of the Nile will dry up. Assyria's pride will be brought down. And Egypt's scepter will pass away. Look, after a while, these verses, well, they become rather compelling, even if it's a new idea to you. The newer covenant is prefaced with the Exodus, which will be repeated in some form or fashion a second and greater time. Perhaps that, uh, that may cause you to read oh my. Luke 9 oh my. in an entirely new light. You're all going to want to turn to Luke 9 where you can make a notation in your
2: Bible. All right, so say there when you are there. 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 Luke chapter 9, verse 30 there. through 32. This is... The Transfiguration. Two men, Moses and Elijah.
0: Unknown figures in history.
2: (laughs) They appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Now, catch something here. Yeshua is talking. By the way, Yeshua is the Writings in bodily form, talking with the embodiment of the law and the prophets about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment. Now, most read this as his crucifixion, but the actual word describing the topic of their conversation in Greek is illustrated on this slide. 1841 Exodus. Exodus. Uh, going what out. What
4: are talking about? Exodus.
2: Exodus. He they are talking about the Exodus. Now, if you're asking why is he talking about Moses, why is he talking to Moses and Elijah about the Exodus? Well, it pretty much makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Because Moses led the first Exodus. Elijah was there at Mount Sinai, and Jesus will be there riding on the clouds in the fulfillment of it all. Oh. Can you see the beauty in that? Yes. Yes. Look, we're going to pick up in verse five.
3: Now that was better than y'all have acted. They spoke about his upcoming exodus, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem, meaning he starts in a place wherever he chooses to start, as he gathers his people. The fulfillment and the destination would be in Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? Doesn't that follow the narrative? Look, yes. let, me,
0: let me jump in Come on this
3: for a second.
0: You've been taught for a couple thousand years. All that needed to be done was done at the cross. And praise God for the new covenant. I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. Most everything in that statement is wrong. I mean most, most everything in that statement is wrong. Jesus initiated something that has not yet come about fully. And why are they talking about the upcoming Exodus? Because it's what would still be done for the nation. He had just begun its fulfillment. His second coming completes its fulfillment. When Jesus cried out, It is finished, you should read that as the sacrifice to purify people is finished. Not the plan and the workings of God yeah. is finished. Yeah. Otherwise, what are we doing here? Right. <laughs> there is more to come. He's going to
3: do something again. <laughs> All right, Lindsay. verse five, please.
7: Again. What? Again. Again. You will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. The farmers will plant them and enjoy their fruit.
3: Now we're we're on, still on the same theme as we read verse five, but. We wanted to bring a very practical <laughs> note to you about verse 5. Yeah. Again, you will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. I, I know that all of you have heard of the term West Bank. You've heard it on the news. You've read about it in the newspapers or on your news app on your phone, maybe. West Bank is a secular geopolitical designation. And tonight we want to say that that defies the Word of God. West Bank is not a term that the Word of God uses. West Bank is not a term that the nation of Israel uh, will choose to use in the future. And now that we have the Word, and we have an understanding that West Bank is part of Judea and part of Samaria, as a Jew, they would see it as, no, it's just Judea and Samaria. That's what the Word says. How much more do we need to use the same vernacular that they would. To look at West Bank as, no, that is the eastern side of Judea and the southeastern side of Samaria. That's what West Bank is today. It belongs to Israel now and in the future as well because it belongs to God who placed Israel as its steward presently. Much in the same way that most Christians do not use the word Palestine, we want to put this in the same category for you tonight we should consider refusing to say the words West Bank. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Amen? Amen. Before we move to verse 6, this meeting started in a, in a home. It's a small group of people in Indian style. Can we still say Indian style? Yeah. 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 By the way, I mean feather, not dot. <laughs> Is that good? Hold yeah. On, I'm okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> 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 So while we're sitting here, my wife just looked up at me, and my eyes are always strained on my wife, and she's like, I'm confused. Jen, did you have a question? Um, Just ask it, baby. That's why we're here. I'll, I'll also teach you after class, but here.
3: You can call me Professor.
0: All of what she said is true. Jesus held up a cup and he said, In this cup is a new covenant, redemption in my blood. Did he speak of drinking another cup? Yes, he did. That's because the covenant is not completed. There is more than one phase. He initiated something in Israel for Israel that still must be completed in Israel for Israel. And we, dear friends, were a mysterious inclusion in that, but it does not change the original plan. It only adds beauty to it. That will become more clear as we go. But aren't you glad she asked the question? Was she the only one that had a question? No. Okay, we're going to pick up in verse 6. We're doing well with our time, and we want to we want to make sure that you get these principles.
7: There will be a date. When watchmen cry out on the hills of Israel, Come, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. This is
4: in context of the reunification of the houses of Israel as one people. Say one people. One, one people. people. Now, men here of the northern tribes are coming back to Zion. Amen. The miraculous part of this is that they were thought to be the furthest from the Lord. But here, he is saying that they will be... Brought back to Zion. Let's go to verse 7.
7: This is what the Lord says: sing with joy for Jacob. Shout for the foremost of the nations. Make your praises heard and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel.
5: Yeah. Ah, come on. This is the original house of Jacob. All twelve sons rejoicing together, all twelve tribes returning in unification, to become the foremost among the All nations, not subservient to any, the apple of his eye united. The tribes thought to be the hardest to regather are addressed in the following verses. Those of you who
0: feel distant from God, take some heart in his ability to restore as we keep moving on. And remember, we are in the book of consolation within Jeremiah that announces the new covenant. These are all things that the New Covenant must accomplish, or else it's not the New Covenant. Yeah. You all understand that? Yes. Yes. Okay.
7: Let's pick up then in uh, verse 8. See, I will bring them from the land of the north and gather them. God as
0: the Father was a New Testament theme. You ought to rethink that. Yes. In God's view, Ephraim is not a separate people, but instead is being reunified with his brothers who collectively are the firstborn nation and son of God. Yeah. That's something that the New Covenant has to accomplish. That's good. Verse 9 said, I will lead them beside streams of water on a level path where they will not stumble. I can't tell you how provocative that is, but I can show you. We have a slide from Isaiah, streams of water. In Isaiah 11, remember, we read it earlier. In the day, in that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time. To reclaim the remnant that is left of his people from Assyria, from lower Egypt, from upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. Verse 15, the Lord will dry up the gulf of the Egyptian sea. With a scorching wind, he will sweep his hand over the Euphrates River. He will break it up into seven, seven streams, so that men can cross in their sandals. (laughs) (laughs) There will be a highway, kind of like an Isaiah 35 highway, which also, by the way, is in the desert. Uh (laughs) There will be a highway for the remnant of his people that is left from Assyria, as there was for Israel when they came up from Egypt. Jeremiah thirty-one eight through nine depict a future return from the northern lands, where Israel travels by streams of water, because God turned the Euphrates wow. into seven streams. Wow. Isaiah depicts a second return from Egypt and Assyria in the north, Egypt in the south, the Syria in the north, where the Egyptian sea is dried up and the Euphrates River. The north is broken into streams. Yes, this hasn't happened in history, and it's a part of the new covenant. What? Yeah. The prophets are painting aspects of the very same picture. That's awesome. They all happen to look an awful lot like a second exodus. Now... We're going to pause here for just a second and reason with our friends who are looking at us a little bit like a monkey stares at a computer. Mouths gaping wide, flies and gnats circulating. New ideas are hard. And they're hard because they make you think. And they challenge your previously held positions. I understand. In truth, we've been wrestling with this for six months. We've been working through it. So we're presenting it as if it's easy and it's obvious. But the truth is, we've been working diligently behind the scenes. We want you to know that the selfish nature of our generation and the ignorance of the generations that have gone before us have reduced Christianity to help in this life and heaven in the next. And none of that is true. That is not the biblical picture at all. We have raised our hands in meetings and desired just to go to heaven when we die and called that the new covenant. You know what's wrong with that? The term New Covenant is (laughs) taken directly from the context that we are now reading. So when the New Covenant is announced, the only context that can rightfully be associated with it are the chapters of Jeremiah surrounding it. Hence, five nights on Jeremiah 30 and 31, so that you might understand what it is that you have come to share in. Uh Namely... The reunification of Israel, the salvation of Israel, and the global regathering of Israel while God treads out the enemies of Israel. Amen. That is what we have come to share in. Yeah. In all theology that points in another direction is maybe well-meaning, but is completely errant. Yeah. And it was mostly derived from the time period in history when it didn't look possible because Israel was not a nation. But in our time, God has made it easier for us faithless people,
5: and he has made his
0: nation again so that you might see as the day draws near what must happen in the new covenant.
2: Now, I want to be there.
1: (laughs) I want to be there.
2: You know, Charles Spurgeon got some things very wrong about the law. He called it a terrible uh, dispensation, a terrible time of terror. But you want to know what Charles Spurgeon did say? He said, "If I could live at any time in world's history, I would want to see the Bride of Israel reunited with her groom."
7: Yeah.
2: Now, you you have to picture what it'll be like when we are there assembled. And we are seeing them seeing afar, the one that they have crucified. And he is calling them, Virgin Israel, I have cleansed you. The reason we're learning what we're learning tonight is so that we can stand with Israel, understand what's going to happen, and be included in that. That he will speak to us. We are a virgin with them.
0: You now know something that is the product of three decades of study. When they look upon the one they pierce, we know what he will say to them. I have loved you with an everlasting
2: love. My
0: God, is that
2: good? Tell me that doesn't repress your soul. Hey, would you like to hear a preamble in the new covenant addressed directly to the Gentiles? Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. This This is our instruction book right here. You're about to get it in verse 10.
7: Hear the word of the Lord, O nations. Proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who who scattered Israel will gather them and will watch over his flock like a shepherd.
2: Now notice that the narrative has now shifted to being directly addressing us in this room. Gentiles, nations, we are in a distant nation from Israel. 7,000 miles away, we are the ones being told, He who scattered Israel will gather them and will watch over His flock like a shepherd.
0: It's almost like the Bible foresaw our propensity to think it's about us. And so this verse is addressing us.
2: Now listen, as Gentile believers... We should be the first to acknowledge this biblical truth. How dare we deny it. And we should be dramatically warned in our souls against any other view. Hey, I want to ask you, would Nazi Germany still be around if they believed this verse, this warning? I'm going to gather my people. No, they didn't believe it. Assyria, if they would just listen to this verse that God, this is a warning for the Gentiles. My people in your nation, I'm going to bring them back. So you better facilitate if you want to be a part of my family.
0: We are a handful of verses away from the announcement of the newer covenant and the Gentiles are being warned that Israel, physical Israel, will be regathered as God's flock and it's
1: written to us. Yeah.
2: In fact, Isaiah 49, 22 says he's going to lift up a banner to the Gentiles and they are going to carry them back. This text is written to us. It may also probably maybe perhaps Mm. be the basis for Paul's warning to the Gentiles about arrogant views of Israel's future in Romans 11.
0: You ever wonder where he got it from Jeremiah.
2: Now, Ezekiel also prophesied this message, but Ezekiel was talking to his own people so that they would know as
3: well. This is found on the next slide. Check out this slide with us. This is Ezekiel 34. And take note about who we're speaking to here in Ezekiel 34, would you? I will save my flock. Who's my flock? Israel. Israel. And they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. That should jog your memory about a little conversation in scripture string that we went over a couple weeks ago together. Yeah. Look at the next verse. Ezekiel 34, 30 through 31. Then they will know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them and that they... The house of Israel, just in case we we got lost somewhere in this, (laughs) all of Israel, both parts of Israel, the culmination of Israel are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. You, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture are people, and I am your God, declares (laughs) the sovereign Lord. We're not going to go in and repeat the David or David's son teaching that we did a couple weeks ago. You that should was, go
0: back and listen to it, though. Yeah. Yeah.
3: That was night one, and I have a feeling that some of you might need to jog your memory on that scripture string. But clearly, God will place a good shepherd over his sheep. Amen. And his sheep are the entire house of Israel. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps Jesus' announcement that he is the good shepherd should be read in that light. The house of Israel just might be the flock of the Good Shepherd, who is Jesus. maybe. Hayden's going to continue in verse 11.
7: For the Lord will ransom Jacob and redeem them from the hand of those stronger than they. They will come out, they will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, oh, yeah. the grain, the new wine, and the oil, the young of the flocks and herds. They will be like a well-watered garden, and will, they will sorrow no more.
4: Oh, no. no more sorrow. The overtones of Jeremiah are strongly reflected in the book of Revelation. You may have been thinking about that while Justin was reading. Much like the newer covenant, these promises have Israel as the recipient. And it was a surprise that anyone else could have the privilege of participating in them. Consider Revelation 21 verse 2. And we have a slide for that.
3: As we put this slide on the screen, you've always considered Revelation a newer testament book. And so you've always put yourself as the subject of Revelation. And so when you see a new Jerusalem and new things happening and Jesus coming back, you always put yourself in the center of that. As Peyton goes through these two passages, I want you to put Israel in the center of these passages. You're going to see some some things in these passages that clearly delineate who we're speaking to. Come
4: on, Revelation 2. I saw the holy city. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. As I heard a loud (laughs) voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain For the old order of things has passed away. We have something new on the way. Look at Revelation 22, verse 1. Then the angel of the Lord showed me a river of of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. Like a well-watered garden. Like a well-watered garden. Bearing 12 crops. 12 crops. Twelve.
3: Twelve. 12. 12 crops. Why were there 12 crops? Maybe Twelve the same
0: tribes. reason <laughs> that there are 12 <laughs> tribes listed in the book of Revelation <laughs> in the 6th and 7th chapter. Man, I think we're on
4: to something tonight. And that tree is yielding its fruit every month. Praise God. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Come on, somebody. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. Revelation presents the completed picture of the promises that originated in the book of Jeremiah. The twelve tribes of Israel were and are the recipients of these promises. It was a surprise that Gentiles could be included. We will be included with Israel, but never without Israel. Israel, come
0: on, included with Israel, but never without
4: Israel. To understand anything written in the newer covenant, it's necessary to be familiar with its origin. In doing so, the people, plan, and place of God's redemption become more beautiful, not less beautiful. Amen. As we move on to verse 13, Ephraim is now back with the sons of Jacob as one nation And all sorrow is gone. Verse 13 speaks of the result of the reunification. Brother Linton, will you get 13 through 14 for me, brother? Then maidens
7: will dance and be glad. Young men and old as well.
5: Wow, that doesn't sound like mourning to me.
7: (laughs) I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. All right,
5: you hearing it? What Peyton just read to you is about a day that sorrow, the tears, these things have passed away. That only comes when Messiah
7: returns to reunite Israel. Let's finish out 14. I will satisfy the priest with abundance, and my people will be filled with my bounty declares the Lord.
5: I love the joyous note that we're able to end on this evening. In closing, there are three things that I want to do with you. I want to read a quote to you and remind you the situation that Israel will be in, in both its joy and its difficulty. I want to point you towards the scriptures that we're coming to next Monday, and then in very brief succession, I want to talk to you about you. Is that all right? Amen. The quote that we read beginning this evening was by Charles Dickinson. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. You need to never forget verse 13 and 14. It is what Revelation is speaking about. It
0: is where his people are headed. It's... uh It's Revelation 20 and 21 before the labor pains or after the labor pains? There's a lot of difficulty. I'd love to skip to the birth, but the truth is is there's a lot yet to go through. Tonight, we wanted to take time to emphasize the joyous end because the next things that we have to go through are difficult.
5: Monday, we pick back up with labor pains that are part of the process of reaching what was just described. The prophets paint spiritual pictures of cyclical patterns so that each of us have multiple opportunities. Anybody in the room thankful for multiple opportunities? Sometimes I don't get it the first time. But thankfully, the prophets paint multiple pictures, cycles, so that we can understand the message. Our prayer for this house is that you, personally, learn to discern the message. That your study is more than just a habit that you do because you're saved, but that you fall in love with the biblical story Amen. itself.
7: Come on. Yeah.
5: on the note of these repeating patterns and labor pains, I have been with you. Been here this week. I haven't been gone. The most fruitful times in your life are still ahead of you. Amen. Amen. And they're the most painful times. Amen. I want to remind you when these pastors are preaching on increase, that comes with opposition, we said. "Yeah." Well, the most fruitful ministry you will ever do are while your children are sick. Amen. It's time that we lift up our eyes and understand what we're engaging in. How do you think that the gospel writers, that the writers of the New Testament epistles are able to say things like, don't act as if something surprising is happening to you? Yeah. Don't be surprised. We must go through many trials. This is where we are. We are learning to walk in the pattern of the gospel more and more every day. And it results in opposition.
3: Amen.
5: Yes. I'm watching Nick have the best times in his life. Amen. Amen. Also some of the hardest times in his life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not think that's unique to Nick. Anybody else in the room been stirred by the previous weeks of sermon series? Yeah. Yes. yes. And also shocked at the painful reality that you've experienced on a Tuesday afternoon. Yes. Yeah. I see you, Marlon. That's <laughs> not just Marlon. What it means to be fruitful in the kingdom is to learn to not only embrace the labor pains we are now experiencing, but long for the joy that is set before us and go have into I say, let there be healings.
0: Yes, yeah, and say, let there be sickness. Yeah. It is our joy to produce life.
4: Amen. Right? Amen. Amen.
7: Oh.
0: Why did Jesus endure the cross? Why do you endure difficulties? Look, this message is for Israel. But it's also made its way to us.
6: Yeah.
0: These repeating cycles in the scripture that are demonstrable all over the scripture are also repeating cycles in your life. You can look back and see that difficult times, in fact, produce good things in you. Which means when you stand in difficult times, you learn to persevere because you know what they produce in you. I have not been here for the last 12 days. But I know. I know that what you endure today is to produce fruit that we can all benefit from tomorrow. You know what happens when we do not learn from the cycle we're in? It just repeats again anyway. The only difference, it's not whether you'll repeat it or not. If you do well in it, it doesn't mean that you will not repeat it. It just means that when you learn to recognize these cycles, there's joy in it. You know what is coming. When you do not learn the lesson, then it's all misery. And you start to see the discipline of God as if He's torturing you. And that is a fast path to join fallen angels and a satanic leader in a lake of fire. But if you can have your eyes open to the wonderful things that are in the law, then you can be trained by them. You can train your faculties. And your senses to distinguish what is evil from what is righteous. And you can grow to maturity. As we turn this meeting over to our pastor, our prayer for you is that you experience the joy of growing into maturity. And that only comes through going through cycles of difficulty. Pastors, the meeting is yours.
1: I've got two scriptures that I want to share with you very quickly. And they both come from the final verse in a chapter. Um, Beth, put up Jeremiah 30 and verse 24. Um, What you'll find here is that in the days to come, you will understand this. (laughs) What I would like to encourage you in significantly is that uh, I, I am standing here and I learned some beautiful things tonight that I've never heard, never seen. I've read these passages. I've been doing my homework. I've been reading them. I've actually been going over some of the exact same scripture strings. I, we were studying in Isaiah 11 today with my family. We, we were studying. We're trying to get this. And I learned things tonight that I've never heard of. Yeah, come on. I figure that if I really devote myself to this in the days to come, I'll even understand it. Can anybody be willing to join me in that pursuit today? Revelation 7, 17. It says, For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He would lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He's been shared with us and showed us in Revelation 21 and 22. But as they were speaking tonight, I thought about this and the victorious, joyous idea that the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. This is specifically speaking to those who have been martyred for their faith in the Messianic, the Jewish Messiah. And he is speaking with those and saying, you've had difficulty, but now you're going to have joy because you're standing with me. I know how to shepherd you well. I know how to shepherd you not just in the good. I know how to especially shepherd you when things are difficult. This is the God that we serve. As you are pursuing him this week. As you're pursuing to understand the things that these men have presented in such a fantastic fashion. You've got to remember that these difficulties lead you to a place where you understand him as your shepherd. Better than you could have ever hoped to do. Because this is the aim and this is where we're headed. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. As we pray, we're going to
0: joyously thank God for giving us deep divine
5: revelation tonight, giving us the hope that he is the God who will again bring restoration to his people. And he is the God who gives us the ability to consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds, because it leads to our perseverance and maturity when it's said and done. So as we pray. Rally that last amount of strength.
7: Hallelujah. Let your praise rise to the heavens.
5: Mighty
0: God, we thank you for your word that opens up and gives us insight into your heart, to your character, and to your deeds. We thank you for showing us your love for your people. We love your people. You love them with an everlasting love. And thank you, Lord God, for including us with them in that everlasting love. Lord, let the richness and depth of your word continue to soak our hearts and minds as we carry this message of who you are and your relationship with Israel to the distant coastlands. In the name of Jesus, we all shout, Amen! Amen. love you all.